0: I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School.
1: When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is the third episode of our fourth season, which is on Asian American troublemakers. So we started with the Yoko Ono and Patty Changs of the world. Our last episode was about Curtis Choi. And this episode, we're going to be talking about the 2011 film Bang Bang by Byron Q.
0: Bang Bang is about a group of young teenage men who are in or flirting with the gang life in an anonymous West Coast city, which I recognize as San Diego because that's where it was shot. Byron, like many other folks who studied film at UCSD, studied under Jean-Pierre Guerin, best known for working with Jean-Luc Godard. Now, he's a legend here in San Diego for uh, transforming people's ideas about films, but also for his rather bizarre teaching methods. But pretty much everyone I know who's from San Diego with great taste in films went through his
1: program. Bang, bang, the film, even though it's fiction, feels a lot like a documentary.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that unlike a lot of other earlier attempts at the Asian American gangster film, it has influences of quote-unquote art cinema. But we should acknowledge that there's this whole lineage of asian american gangster films probably most famous being better luck tomorrow directed by justin Lin back in 2002 we don't have to play by the rules we can make our own it's easy money it'll be fun <laughs> about some middle to upper middle class mostly chinese korean american kids in orange county you know they get grades in school they are otherwise the model minority do you think you can break in you,
1: think you get away with anything
0: don't you well, yeah you're clever enough <laughs> So that's the one that really started this conversation about what is, quote-unquote, proper content for Asian-American cinema. Suddenly, because of what happened at Sundance, where somebody in the audience at one of the, the screenings stood up and said, you have so much talent on the screen, Asian-Americans are clearly the shining light. Why are you making them look so terrible? Or in the words of our season, why are you making them troublemakers? And then Roger Ebert famously stood up. and said, well,
1: I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement
0: is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people?" This film has the right to
1: be about these people, and Asian-American characters have the right to be whoever the hell they want to be. They do not have to represent their people.
0: That really popularized this idea that if we're showcasing the range of experience of Asian American communities, that includes Asian Americans being bad. And that was a big way in which Better Luck Tomorrow was dissected and valorized when it first came out. And I think it's still remembered for popularizing that concept.
1: And then after Better Luck Tomorrow, there's been a string of films about Asian American, mostly men, in the gangster. It's all
0: men. (laughs) In fact, I was trying to find examples of women and, and you sort of see them in some short films. But that's about it. One of the first that came out after that was Chris Chan Lee's Undoing. Well, this all started a year ago.
1: With Sun King, Leon M, Kelly Hu, and Russell Wong. Jun
0: was murdered in K-Town. Remember Jun? We were really close. Although it's worth noting that his film Yellow from 1997 also involved good Asian American kids doing bad things. And that preceded Better Luck Tomorrow. Also around that time was Juan Chung's Baby. You know what you gotta do. Uh, Southeast LA gang warfare Just close film. Close your eyes. Squeeze the trigger. And let's go home.
1: Sorry David Wynn, who is
0: one of the stars of Bing Bing. So I, th- I think a lot of this is about different cities. So there's like there's the LA gangster story, which has a sort of Koreatown element to it. In the Bay Area, I mean, if you include Spencer Nakasako's work, aka Don Bonus and Refugee, which I wouldn't call them gangster films because these characters aren't in gangs necessarily, but they are surrounded by gangs. That really informs the way they see the world. So there's that as part of the lineage as well. And then you have films like Revenge of the Green Dragons, which is about New York Chinatown. <laughs> There's a storm coming, detective. I don't know of any umbrella that's going to keep the city dry. So stories of male Asian American gangsters, I would call it a genre of Asian American cinema. You definitely see a lot of Asian American filmmakers who are working really hard to counter this model minority myth by... Taking into the extreme other example, which is let's just make violent films with Asian American men who are masculinized in both violence and sex, this hyper masculinization.
1: Also, if you look outside Asian America, Asian films are so
0: known for their really cool gangster movies. Yeah, and the fact that Revenge of the Green Dragons is co-directed by the co-director of Infernal Affairs, I think speaks directly to that. So
1: I bet it's that kind of influence as well. These movies that you might have watched growing up, or you just love Tony Leung and
0: Andy Lau and... John Woo. Yes,
1: yes. And you want to make an Asian American version of that, you know?
0: While we're at it, there's also this long lineage of depictions of Asian American men in Hollywood films as criminals like the Fu Manchu stories
1: right right so
0: that also exists in the culture but that sort of got displaced by the Asian American man as the dweeb the 16 candles model and i I think that this current wave is a response to the nerdy asian american man as opposed to the fu manchus but it's worth noting that that's part of the history as well
1: yeah definitely but like those villains
0: were always the side characters or they're exoticized and they don't really feel american whereas these gangsters they look as american as other kinds of immigrants like the italian american immigrants or they're as american as the characters in boys in the hood Right. And so many of these films like kind of proclaim themselves to be the Asian-American Boys in the Hood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we have the impact of Hong Kong action films and the later Korean action films. But then there's also the impact of Black action films in the 1990s.
1: Yes, and that leads us to Bang Bang. Yeah,
0: so I think what makes Bang Bang so interesting is, so I think we've kind of settled this idea that Asian-American films, yes, they can be about anything. So once that's been settled, where do you go from there? And Bang Bang kind of has us asking new questions what it means to be an Asian-American gangster. You know my homie, Charlie, right? What's up, Charlie? What you the motherfucker. Punch his ass, <laughs> oh, Charlie. Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the two main protagonists of Bang Bang are a kid named Justin, played by Ty no, who's a rapper, and David Nguyen. He casts some actors, but a lot of people he cast were gang members or people who are very familiar with that scene. Ty no being one of them. And I think what's interesting about Bing Bang is it's a gangster movie that talks about class differences. So Justin is from a single parent household. Whereas Charlie, he's from a fairly affluent family, but he's what people call a parachute kid. He's living in a big house, but his parents are never home. They're always on business in Taiwan. So that's one of the tensions of the film. Justin has friends who are gangsters, and a lot of it is about money whether it's like selling drugs or selling weapons. And they all know that Charlie is one of Justin's friends, but there's this idea that Charlie, you know, he's
0: a rich kid. Charlie ain't like us. He ain't from where we're from. He doesn't need to do this. He just wants to be a gangster. Although I would say that the one thing that does connect both of them is that the gang offers them a sense of family that they don't have at home.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So how class differences manifest in kind of similar deficiencies in family
1: if anything charlie wants to be accepted much more than justin does
0: yeah because when we frequently just see him by himself in this giant house literally watching videos of asian gangsters on youtube
1: (laughs) kind of playing around with a weapon seeing how he looks
0: it's like Jean-Luc Godard in Breathless, you have these characters who are looking at themselves in the mirror and imagining themselves as, as the kinds of people they know from the movies, like these tough guys. And that's what he's doing. And he's seeing in Justin and his friends the chance to realize that dream.
1: And both of us remember when this film came out because I was working at Asia Pacific Arts at the time. So I actually interviewed Byron Q and I believe that was your first year programming the San Diego Asian Film Festival, right? Yeah. So you did a bunch of Q&A's with them. (laughs) I remember talking to him about the fight scenes because during these dramatic moments, there's just these quick
0: black and white snapshots. They're black and white and they turn to still images
1: which I actually really liked about it. But I remember I asked him and he was just like, "Ah." I think he kind of laughed and was like, oh, it's art. And then he was like, well, we didn't have enough money (laughs) to make like stylized action scenes. So he preferred to kind of leave it to the imagination. and, And I think that ended up being much more powerful.
0: That's totally Godard too. I mean, if you think about Breathless and how by necessity of the budget that there are things that are otherwise considered errors in filmmaking that ends up becoming the style of the film. And in fact, the idea of every time there's violence on screen and it cuts to black and white and still images is really powerful in one moment in the film when you see a different kind of violence go on. It's the violence at home to show how it's not just the gang life. It's it's the violence that's all around us that's shaping us and shaping us into the kinds of people we are.
1: Yeah, there's also moments where things are blurred out. Faces are blurred out or license plates are blurred out. And that kind of adds to the documentary feel to it. It's that sense that
0: not everything before the camera is controllable by the director. Sometimes elements get a screen like, oh, somebody wandered onto the frame who didn't sign a waiver or somebody's cap went on the screen. And there's a logo there that I can't clear. That didn't remind me of documentary. It reminded me of rap videos in the early 1990s oh. when you'd always have logos being blurred out. It was their way of saying our life is so authentic, it's too authentic for MTV. I've always seen that as what makes rap videos feel so dangerous and needs to watch it on MTV. It was like something about this that was too volatile for TV. But Byron incorporates that sensibility into Bang Bang and I think it makes total sense. Look at your fucking face! No, no, look at your fucking face, all right? You look in the mirror? Look at your fucking arm and shit? Broke your fucking tables? You're not even gonna do anything, huh? It's fucked up. When we watch the Charlie character, he has a certain idea of what it means to be a gangster um, to the point where When his friends, like Justin, suddenly want to back off from fighting back against their rival gang, Charlie the Rich Kid will say, you don't know how the gang works. He's like lecturing Justin about how to be the proper gangster. And it's at moments like that when you realize that troublemaking is kind of a a class privilege. It's a privilege to be able to perform that kind of badassery, whereas everyone else is doing it by necessity. Right, right. And that had me thinking about our whole season. We're celebrating troublemakers, but is... Troublemaking itself a privilege of those who have the time and the ability to risk their reputations and their lives for the fun of troublemaking.
1: Because, I mean, you compare the character of Charlie played by actor David Wynn, to one of the actors in the film, Vanna Fett, who Byron Q later made a documentary about called Rascal Love, just sort of documenting his entire life. He was actually in a gang growing up and lived that life. But I feel like you would never call him a troublemaker.
0: Yeah, in fact, the word troublemaker there has this stench of morality. It's what bourgeois white people would say looking at these kids, not understanding that this is the culture they're in. This is a result of poverty and just the kinds of kinship that exists for that community. There's nothing about Rascal Love that feels troublemaking. In fact, Rascal Love is about love. Yeah. It's in the title. It's such a sincere movie. Oh my God. So Rascal Love was made sort of by necessity, You get the sense that Byron Q had to make this movie. So the story is of Vanna Futt, who Byron met making Bang Bang. And it came out in 2012, just one year after Bang Bang.
1: Vanna's Cambodian-American. He was relocated to Pomona, California after his family escaped the killing fields.
0: He became part of the Tiny Rascal Gang.
1: The predominantly Cambodian-American street gang in California.
0: That's kind of how he learned about the world.
1: And they know Vanna by his nickname,
0: Lazy. He shaped the whole hood. My role model, my hero is Lazy. If you know Lazy, you know the saying, we are more than Gs. And then when his family was forced to move to Seattle, he found fellow TRG out there too.
1: Eventually he became respected in the breakdancing scene. He was kind of like a star out here. Every battle, you, you know, it was exciting to and see. And he him. became almost like a symbol.
0: We could be TRGs for the rest of our lives, but I rather appreciate to see you guys making it.
1: When you guys do good, you guys gonna appreciate me one day. You're gonna be like, damn,
0: one of more OGs from TRG told us to do better. Yeah, so this is where I think it's really interesting to talk about this film as a gangster film. Because unlike so many other gangster films, which are usually not made by people who were part of that life, as he's like starting to find ways to grow up whether that's through breakdancing and later on when he starts working in construction and he still maintains his identity as a gangster from the beginning all the way to the end it's just more about what are you going to do with your life as a gangster i feel like rascal love is ultimately it's about how do you become affiliated and still be successful
1: it's sort of like this idea of let's keep the good stuff about the gang and get rid of the bad stuff about the gang, you
0: know well he's trying to get out of the violence and the backstabbing like, that to him was not what being a gangster was about. I mean, it, it's a sort of an unfortunate outcome of it. But for him, like, that is something that you, can, that you can somehow avoid. He has it both ways, right? He says, like, don't go down the path I did. You got to finish high school, but still be tight with your brothers. Don't forget your brothers. But I see it as, like, this is exactly what Bang Bang was about, which is that there's a way to be in the gang that is not about troublemaking. Yeah, you protect yourself, and you retaliate when you need to, but you don't do it for the sake of doing it. And you don't do it for the sake of just wanting to be obsessed with guns or obsessed with like being in the middle of a fight. What he's cautioning against is like, don't be like a character like Charlie, which you're not just in it to be bad. Do it for the love. So this is like a much more subtle way of breaking down this idea of positive or negative. It says that we could be good people from whatever kind of paths of life we come through. I think one of the reasons I'm like so fascinated by this is because this is what makes Rascal Love so unique from any other gangster movie I've seen which is because it's told from the inside, it's so committed to the idea that being in a gang is great. And not great for the juvenile reasons that it's like fun and you can get yourself in all kinds of mischief, but great in that this is a true brotherhood that saves you. The gang saved them just as much as breakdancing and getting a job later saved them. To them, that's not a paradox. I remember we showed this film... And, like, the TRG of San Diego came out. And, like, they supported it. And to them, this is a celebration of their family. At the end of the day, this film is a romanticized idea of Tiny Rascals Gang. It's called Rascal Love. And it's called Rascal Love in the most sincere way possible. Almost to the point of, you can't be that serious, right? But that's the aesthetic. So maybe we should talk about the aesthetic for a little bit. Because this movie looks and sounds kind of out of this world. (laughs) So I I sense that you have a reaction. Like, what was your response to the aesthetics of this movie?
1: So, whereas Bang Bang is a feature film that feels like a documentary, Rascal Love is a documentary that uses reenactments. So, it has kind of this weird hybrid feeling to it as well. It's mostly Vanna Fett telling his story. And that's what kind of carries you throughout the film because he's such a great storyteller. Yes. But then there's also these scenes often with actors from Bing Bang coming in and playing people from his past. But it starts with Byron Q turning the camera on himself and just sort of <laughs> almost like he's the host of the show and being like, I wanted to make this film, here it is.
0: <laughs> I hope you enjoy it. Like, like it has that kind of tone to it. It's almost like a documentary. That utilizes fictional elements, but that is really in the form of, of like a love letter that he's writing.
1: Yeah, in the beginning you're kind of like, this, what, what are we watching here? Because it is a documentary, a friend is making for another friend. And that's what it feels like.
0: <laughs> At the end of the day, that's what it is, and that's a beautiful thing. And not only does he use fictional elements in this film, he actually uses certain scenes from Bang Bang, <laughs> like, like fighting scenes from Bang Bang in Rascal Love underscoring the tie between the two films
1: yeah they're really great companion films you should watch them together <laughs>
0: <laughs> the scene that i i that i remember the most it's like halfway through the film where byron has his camera and he's surrounded by all of the like the new generation of the trg gang in seattle and they're sort of like going around in a circle talking about the reminisces of, of Vanna and like what it's like to be in trg And you see all the smoke around the camera. You're like, oh well, well, you know, like they're probably all smoking out. And then you see Byron's hand underneath the camera pass a joint to somebody. So it's like Byron is smoking while he's filming the scene. And um, I mean, this is like true embeddedness, and it's like journalistically very suspect. But it's so perfect given. The fact that Byron starts off the film basically looking at us in the eye and saying, I hope you enjoyed this movie. <laughs> and by two-thirds of the way through the film, Byron becomes a character in the film. Like Byron becomes a character in Vanna's life. And so he's talking about himself in the third person and it becomes the first person <laughs> because uh, he's no longer the narrator. He's the subject.
1: But the climax of the film is so funny, just to us. Because, okay, so Vanna his whole life, he's been trying to find some purpose. So he became a dancer and had some success, but got kind of pushed out of that before deciding he wanted to work in film. So the idea that he could act in a movie like Bang Bang, that's basically about his life. Not him specifically, but the people that he grew up around. So being able to screen it in San Diego where they filmed it, I get why it's such a big deal. Because you so rarely see stories about Asian American gangsters. But for us, it was so crazy because we were at that Q&A. I was watching and I was like, yeah, there's Brian moderating the Q&A. <laughs> and it's just so funny thinking about it, how you can be present at somebody else's big climactic moment and not even realize it. <laughs> because for me, I was there because I was... Scheduled to interview David Wynn, one of the stars of the movie, after the QA. <laughs> and I remember Vanafa giving a very long speech, but to be honest, I probably wasn't listening because I was looking at David <laughs> and I think you guys had
0: all been drinking. I brought up Stella's for the entire cast and crew. And our joke at the festival was Stella, our sponsor, is going to love this. So we were definitely encouraging it.
1: <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know who's gonna make it to my interview afterwards.
0: That's that's a fair question.
1: <laughs> and you can kind of tell in the movie, like even during that scene when Vanifa is giving a speech, you can see David on the left side of him, like struggling to get it together. But but he did. He gave a very good interview. <laughs> He's very professional.
0: <laughs> well, so for me, I remember that moment because everyone was encouraging Vanna to talk. Like the entire cast and crew was like, Oh, let's get the let's get the mic to Vanna. He's got something to say. And he went on for so long. And then in, in hindsight, I was like, did they already know they were going to use this footage? They were just, like, basically directing my Q&A to get good footage of Vanna talking. So I remember, like, being there thinking, like, what is the big deal about Vanna? And, and like, watching Rascal Love, like, yeah, I get it now. Like, like they all adored him, and they, they saw him as such an inspiring and kind of a a figure that really shaped them and their production in ways that they didn't expect.
1: It's just sort of funny. You just realize how everybody's lives intersect in such interesting and random ways. And I think you can say for both of these movies, Bang Bang and Rascal Love, they're not gangster movies in the highly stylized way that usually associate with gangster films um, from Hollywood or Asia, or in the way that you can tell a lot of Asian-American gangster films are aspiring to be.
0: Yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that these other Asian-American gangster films, they look like, director's reels for when Hollywood wants to call him up to make a big budget gangster movie. Right, And right. that was the Justin Lin route, and it was very, very successful for him. Whereas, Bang Bang is not impressing anybody from Hollywood because of how scrappy it is. But
1: it feels like it's actually shedding light on a community.
0: What it made me do was, it made me really interested in actual Asian American gangs, because they feel so close to the ground. And in Rascal Up, I just became fascinated by the TRG. While watching these films, I went on just the craziest rabbit hole online on a website called streetgangs.com. Reading all about what happened to all of those gangs I grew up around, like in the 90s. Kind of like in the same world that Rascal Love is depicting. It's tied to that reality. Whereas the way that Better Luck Tomorrow is talked about, they they remember, oh, that actually happened in Irvine or wherever it happened. Oh, it may or may not have been about a gang. And that gang may or may not have been real whatever. It wants to be something that's more inclusive of all different kinds of dimensions of Asian-American communities. And as a result, it becomes very easily allegorized as this is a story about what it means to be a certain kind of upwardly mobile Asian-American man who has all these other kinds of issues. Whereas Bang Bang and Rascal Love, it's really about the intricacies and the details of these gangs. And as a result, it made me want to dive into those histories more.
1: You can watch these films online at BingBangTheMovie.com or RascalLove.com. R-A-S-K-A-L Love. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that feature stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our new website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we've covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A D A T S E N G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H U S B R I A N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, we're going to be talking about a totally different kind of troublemaking. Your assignment is to watch the 2015 film Miss India America by Ravi Kapoor. Class dismissed.